righty, everybody. Good morning. Hey, I like that. Well, today's a good day. It's, it's good because today is the, the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice in it. And today's the day where we get to learn God's word and all that good stuff. But today's an extra special day for me because I had a surprise come today that I didn't expect. Okay. Now, I've been serving in this church for 10 years. And about six years ago, one of my students, when I was a youth pastor here, went off to the United States Air Force. And, and he's come home. Austin, welcome home, brother. We're glad to have you. So thank you for serving our country in the United States Air Force. We, we love you, buddy. And I got to baptize him when he was in high school. That, that's, that's, it's kind of a joyous thing to, for a pastor to see kids come home. Hey, are you guys glad you're here today? All right. So I just want to say hello to all of you. Hello to all of you joining us online. Welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. I hope you are all doing well. Can you believe that Easter is two weeks away? Two weeks away, and we're looking forward to what God is going to do here at First Baptist on Easter Sunday. I'm seeing some pews that are, there's got nobody sitting in it. I'm hoping that there will be people sitting in those pews on that day. So here's my question to you. Do you have your one yet? Who's your one? I've been talking about this the last two Sundays. Who's God laying on your heart to reach out to, to invite to church Easter is the best opportunity in the whole calendar year for you to invite somebody to introduce them to Jesus. Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it your grocery store clerk? How about the server at the restaurant, the mailman? Who's it going to be? I want you to be praying about who God might lay on your heart, and I want you to be obedient to who the Lord puts on your heart to invite to, to church on Easter Sunday. You know, Jesus said this, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what Jesus said. Are you going to be obedient to that? So I hope you grabbed an outline on your way in today. If you would, open your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. That's going to be our starting place today. We are in a series called, What Are You Thinking?, so since we've started this series, have you been thinking about what you've been thinking about? Have I been messing with you yet, church? Maybe some of you have. I sure appreciate all the wonderful comments that you guys have been saying to me. We've been talking about how our thoughts, how our mind is kind of like a road map. It's like a trail. And the things that we think about are ultimately going to determine the things that we do. And that makes total sense to us. But here's the problem. The problem is many of us are passive in our thoughts. We just kind of go through life where we don't really hit the brakes. We just go from zero to 200 miles an hour without paying any attention to the things we're thinking about. And the result is this. It leads us to a place that isn't very good. And we end up out in the weeds of life. And we sit there and we go, now how did that happen? How did we get here? But instead, God wants us to be proactive. He wants us to move towards thinking like Jesus modeled. We talked about that two weeks ago. This way, our thoughts are in alignment with God and his ways. So you can catch up on this whole series on our YouTube page, or you can listen to the messages by podcasting them from the church website, fbcfo.com. Today, 
we're going to look at how important it is to think about managing our minds, all right? So if you're finding 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here's the context of what's going on in this chapter. Here's the Apostle Paul. He is speaking to the church in Corinth, which means he's speaking specifically to believers, not the unbelievers, but Christ followers. And so Paul sees himself as a spiritual father to the people in Corinth, and he sees the church as a whole as the bride of Christ. And he sees Jesus as the groom, and his whole goal here is to protect the church because the church is super important to Jesus. So if you have kids or if you have grandkids, you kind of know how this feels, right? You want God's best for them, right? Right? You want them to be spiritually blessed, and so you pray and you pray and you pray that they don't get all caught up in all the crazy stuff that's out there in the world. And is there some crazy stuff out there? There is. It's really important to us as parents that our kids do not suffer the consequences that maybe some of us suffered. And so from a spiritual standpoint, here's the Apostle Paul. This is exactly what he wanted for the church in Corinth. So he's speaking into their lives, and he recognizes that Satan is at work in the world. And his primary job is to get the believers off track. And so Paul wants to help the church in Corinth understand how Satan corrupts and attacks them through their mind, okay? So we need to get to that part, and that is the same for us. The only way that Satan can get into our lives, congregation, is through our mind. That's it. No other way, all right? So let's look. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness, Paul says. So he's having some fun here with them. Yes, please put up with me. Verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So stop right there for a second. So here is this bride and groom motif in the text. And again, Paul is speaking from a spiritual father, loving, protector role. He feels very responsible for them, and this is why he uses that term godly jealousy, okay? Now, verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve, now let me stop right there. So here's Paul. He's going to go all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we first see Satan come onto the scene and attack humanity. And Paul is communicating to the church in Corinth here that Satan's work, this isn't something new. All right? He says, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, so not your behavior, not your emotions, but your minds, may somehow be led astray from your sincere, now circle that word for me, sincere, may somehow be led away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul is teaching the church that ever since Genesis chapter 3, Satan has been messing with God's people. And it's always been there from that whole time. And Satan's strategy is to attack us through the mind. 
And here in verse 3, Paul is very concerned that these church members are going to be led astray from what? Scripture says their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, what does that actually mean? It means a single-mindedness, okay? This single-mindedness where you focus exclusively on Jesus. It's a complete devotion for him. And congregation, the enemy absolutely hates it. 100% hates it when we get into alignment with God. Okay? And when we start thinking like Jesus did, and when we start living a godly life, and we're walking hand in hand with God, and we're starting to think like we're getting some traction in our spiritual condition, this, the enemy hates it. And when that happens, when we start getting in alignment with God, he just starts working harder and harder and harder to try to pull us away from God, and he uses all of his tricks in his toolbox to get us away from walking with hand in hand with God. And as Scripture says, he wants to lead us astray. All for us to get sidetracked and tempt us into sin. So number one in your outline, it's kind of this big sermon idea that we've been saying, is your thoughts shape your feelings and actions, and therefore they shape your life. Been saying this in different ways over the, each week of this series, so hopefully it's catching on to you by now, that the progression is this. Thoughts lead to feelings, and feelings lead to actions. And because our thoughts and our feelings shape our actions, ultimately our thoughts shape our entire life. And that's why the tagline of this sermon and this whole series has been, Our thoughts are shaped by our life. You see it on the title slide there. Proverbs 23, verse 7. It tells us this truth. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. In layman's terms, what goes into our mind is going to come out in our life. And I've been mentioning this over and over again over the last few weeks, that the more you think a certain thought the easier it is going to be to rethink it again and again and again. And that's because it's actually scientifically proven that when you do that, it actually wears a pathway or a trail into your physical brain. So whether the thought is true or whether it's false, it doesn't really matter. If you think it over and over and over again, it's going to get easier and easier to do. And so Paul understood this. And Paul's concern for the church in Corinth is that their single-mindedness for the Lord, their being in alignment with Christ, is on the verge of being led astray. Now, let's just pause for a second. When we think of this in our lives, often we go to a place where, like, a believer is, like, one day a complete follower of Christ, and then a short while longer... It's like Jesus who, and they're like, the heck with God. Now, does that happen where somebody becomes a total denier of Jesus? Yeah, it happens. Maybe it was your story. Maybe it's a family member of yours. I don't know, but the reality is, is that's the extreme. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is talking about, and I said this last week, is the confession, the homologio, saying the same thing Jesus says to us and about us, and that the enemy is trying to just sidetrack people just enough 
to where they are slightly off center from accurate biblical truth. And when that happens, it's easy to veer off into this into the ditch or into the weeds of life. And it's easy to veer off into some other ungodly idea. Because that's how it goes, isn't it? The best of lies, the best of the best of the best of lies, the ones that really fool us, they have truth mixed right in with them. So you can see in your outline here, there's three ways that Satan is going to attack you. Okay, let's look at them today. What he did with Adam and Eve so long ago is the same thing that he does with us. And we see them in Genesis chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bible if you like, or you can use your notes and follow with me on the screen. But the first attack mode that Satan uses is what we call doubt. Okay? Doubt. Genesis 3.1, here's the serpent. That's Satan. He says to Eve, did God really say? I mean, you can imagine that's probably how he said it, too. Did God really say? Here's the thing on this. Anytime that there is a question mark on God's word, anything that he says to us and about us and about himself, the homologio, listen, congregation, that is the work of the enemy. Okay? So in our culture, 2023, what does this look like? Here's what it looks like. Come on, man. Are you kidding me, Pastor Wayne? It's like 2023, dude. You need to get out of the 1900s, buddy. You need to get caught up in today's world, bro. I mean, God may have said that way back then in the old days to some other previous generation. But, Pastor, that was then. This is now. And besides, we took a poll, and we voted. And the majority of people today believe that things are different now. That over here is correct thinking now, and that is no longer correct thinking. And Pastor Wayne, you just need to accept it and get with the program. Now let me give you a translation on that. Did God really say... Pick your hot-button topic. Did God really say that divorce, premarital sex, abortion, homosexuality, dishonoring your parents, pornography, debauchery, and the list goes on and on and on. Did God really say that that is not okay? I mean, when we read the Bible, we know the truth. And so Satan attacks us with doubt. And it begins to erode our single-mindedness, that sincere and pure devotion that Christ wants us to have. That for some of us, we've been working on. And when we believe the doubt, it's at that point right there that we start drifting. Just enough to when we're no longer on center point. And remember, this attack is going to come at us where? In our mind. Second way Satan is going to attack you is denial. Okay? A few verses later, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, Satan comes back and he says this. You will not surely die. My wife says I do that really good. 
you will not surely die. What does that look like in today's culture? Here's it is. Pastor Wayne, get real, dude. Just because my mom or my grandma and my grandpa and my uncle, just because their life is all messed up and because they did whatever it is it was, doesn't mean that it's going to affect me, buddy. Do you know who I am? Oh, I know who you are. Now, isn't it interesting that the enemy builds us up to do the wrong thing and then tears us down when we do the right thing? Enemy comes in and says, Wayne, you got nothing to worry about, bro. If you do that, it's not going to hurt you. But the moment that any of us say, get thee behind me, Satan, I'm going to live for Jesus, it becomes, Wayne, are you kidding me, dude? Did you forget all about those mistakes? Oh, yeah, 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 you know those mistakes. You piece of trash. It's exactly what Satan does. He builds us up to do the wrong thing, and then he tears us down when we do the right thing. It may have been hurtful, or it may have been hurtful to, uh, to other people, but you got nothing to worry about, little buddy. You're going to be A-okay. It doesn't matter that they're in therapy and they're in counseling and, 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 and they've got problems, but not you, Wayne. Not you. You are Superman. You got nothing to worry about, buddy. You have it made. One word, church, denial. Third way Satan is going to attack you. Deception. And this one's huge. Next verse, Genesis 3, 5. Satan says, for God knows that when you eat of it. Now, let me just stop right there. This is always the enticement here. Do you know, Wayne, that if you just did, now fill in the blank, whatever it is, If you just do that, buddy, do you realize how much better your life is going to be? Oh, man, besides, it's not going to hurt you. I've already told you it's not going to kill you. You have nothing to worry about. Isn't that how it goes, church? It's exactly how it goes. And verse 5 goes on to say this, that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's what Satan does. He puts in a little bit of sprinkle of deception on truth. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it may sound something like this. Are you really forgiven of your sins? Are you really a new creation in Christ? Has your old nature really passed away? So it's a little bit of deception mixed in with the truth, and that's enough to get us off track. From what? The pure and sincere devotion that the Apostle Paul is calling for. That single-mindedness that Christ desires for us. If you're new to church, let me just tell you, Satan is not your friend. He is a deceiver. He's not interested in helping you at all. 
All he wants for you is to go down the drain. That's it. His mission isn't necessarily to get us to go with, I'm all done with Jesus. No, no, no. His, his tactic is to just get you off course just a little bit. And he's going to attack you in your mind. You all with me on that? Okay. So as this plays out in real time, whenever we think things, whatever we think about, they're going to wear pathways into our minds. And when we think about them more and more and more, we begin to believe those things to be true. And if the thought is actually true, then that's a good thing. But if it's a lie, that's not a good thing. Because if you begin to live as if the lie is true, then you begin to make more and more decisions based upon the lie. Not a place you want to be, congregation. And then that single-mindedness of, of Jesus that Paul was concerned about, it begins to be replaced by something else. And then we're led astray again. Why? Because we have been deceived by the enemy. And congregation, if we're going to be really brutal and really honest with ourselves today... One of the worst enemies that we have in our lives, oftentimes, is who? Us. Ourselves. And here's why. Because we can say things to ourselves, and we can believe ourselves, and we can lie to ourselves so good. We have this amazing ability to tell ourselves things that are nowhere near true, and then speak about them. So let's call it what it is, church. It's called sin. It's what it is. So we need to be aware of it. So now turn back to the book of 2 Corinthians, if you would, please. This time I want you to go to chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 3. It's in your outline as well, and we looked at this verse back in week one of this series. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Follow with me. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, pay really close attention here. They have divine power, meaning that they have God's power in it. Our weapons are Scripture. It must be God's words to be divine. And it goes on to say that they have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. Awesome. Verse 5. We demolish arguments with and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then it goes on to say, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in your outline here, you can see exactly what a stronghold is. What is a stronghold? It is a wrong thought pattern. Beloved, you need to know that there are too many pastors out there that are teaching that a stronghold is a behavior. Listen to me. It's not a behavior. It's a mindset that leads to a behavior. 
a mindset that is inconsistent with what Scripture calls the knowledge of God. A mindset that is inconsistent with what God says to you and what he says about you. But somehow in our humanity, we still believe these lies that come at us and we believe them to be true. And then we make decisions from that position. Consequently, we've been led astray, our lives are a wreck, and now we're thinking, have we lost our salvation in Christ? No, we haven't lost our salvation, but we've been led astray from the single-mindedness, the pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And last week, we talked about this idea of renovation. Do you remember that? Renovation is what is needed for every stronghold in your life. And we talked about how renovation begins with demolition. We have to take scripture the sledgehammer, right? And we have to take that to our strongholds. It is the only way, congregation, that we can kill sin in our life. Sin has to be killed with scriptural truth. That's it. So if you think about all the sin you're struggling with, you have to bring scripture to it. It's it, no other way. Truth is essential. Say that with me, essential. It is essential, absolutely, in order to create the new pathways in our mind that we need. If we want to renew our minds so we can be transformed into the image of Christ. We've been talking about that. So here's Paul. Now he wants to write to the church in Philippi. And he gives us some insight as to what this looks like. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I'm going to read from the New King James Version on this one. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. The NIV will say, think on these things. So here is this term meditate. I have it underlined on the screen. Greek word for meditate is called logizomai. Say that with me. Logizomai. Come on, one more time. Logizomai. For you Greek scholars in the room, now you're happy. We're teaching the congregation some Greek today, all right? Here's what this means. It means to reckon, okay, or to consider, right? To think about a lot. And since we're all hungry, right, are you hungry yet? Thinking about lunch yet? Right? Oh, I'm thinking about lunch already. So here's the best visualization for this term. Yeah, some of you know where I'm going with this one right now. Think of a cow. Okay? When you have a cow, you watch it out in the pasture, and it's enjoying its lunch. What does a cow do? It chews its cud. Okay? Why does it do that? Because a cow cannot digest food like some of the other animals in the animal kingdom can or like us as human beings. No, cows have to enjoy their lunch over and over and over in order to eventually digest it. So you get the imagery here, right? This is a perfect picture of what meditation is for us. We need to consume God's word and then later chew on it 
and then later chew on it again, and then chew on it again, and so on. So in your life, if you struggle, here's an example. Let's say you struggle with worry. Congratulations. You are a meditator. Isn't that great news? You can do it. The problem is you're just meditating on the wrong thing. But you're chewing the cud. That's exactly what you're doing. It's just the wrong kind of food. And you're allowing it to go on and on and on. And this is just one example. There's hundreds out there. And this is why it's important to see this. And you can see in your outline that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Isn't this how it goes? The Apostle Paul recognizes this reality. Because remember, the more you think a thought over and over and over, the easier it is for you to put it into action. And if you've had wrong thoughts for a long time, and if you've made wrong decisions for a long time, it's going to take you some time with a whole lot of effort to unlearn them. Like Yoda says, you must unlearn what you have learned. For you Star Wars fans out there. Yeah, you just can't do a little tweak here and a a little adjustment here and expect miraculous results. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. You have to do some serious demolition. So get the sledgehammer out and start going to town and bust up them strongholds. Bust them up. Bust them up. That's what you got to do. Congregation, are you with me this morning? Woohoo, you're with me. All right. The Bible tells us that what's in us is what's going to come out of us. And so if we want a God-centered life, our thoughts must be centered on God and his ways. That's why meditating on God's word is 100% essential. And look what the psalmist says. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. Scripture says, I meditate on your precepts, and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Delight in God's ways. Do not neglect God's word. 100% essential. Number two in your outline. God wants you to recognize that if you're thinking something, Recognize that it's inconsistent with his word. That's what we got to do. Let's plug this in now. We understand that our thoughts control and they influence our feelings and our actions. Okay. So if we're going to do things God's way, we must be proactive and recognize when we're thinking about things that are inconsistent with Scripture. How can we do that? Well, ask yourself this question. Really easy. What does God say about this? What does the Bible say? Now think about how many people you know that are Christians and go to church and don't do that. Scary thought, isn't it? So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 again. Now we're going to go to verse 4. Some of you are wondering, was he ever going to get to verse 4? Here comes verse 4. Paul's a spiritual father, right? He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he goes on to say, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, 
or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So here it is again. What ends up happening in our mind is when we read this passage, some of us might go to the thought of someone preaching that maybe Jesus isn't even the Messiah. Again, that's the extreme. But Satan isn't necessarily going there, right? Maybe he's just, and I almost bet that he is, he's just trying to get us a tad bit off center. It's not that Jesus isn't the Messiah. Hey, Satan knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's, so he's going to take a, the deception approach. He might say something like this. Wayne, your past, your present, your future sins, dude, they aren't really forgiven. I mean, Wayne, God can't really use you in ministry. You have too much baggage, dude. Besides, you don't think you could ever actually have an intimate relationship with God, do you? Come on, Wayne, do you? I mean, do you know how many relationships you have busted up, dude? Come on. You're a fool. So there's the, den- there's the doubt, there's the denial, there's the deception. And all of a sudden we buy into these lies and we start living them out in life and we begin making decisions in real time and it gets us off track. So the result here based upon this scripture verse is we now believe in an unbiblical Jesus. We believe in a different Jesus than what scripture teaches and we start believing in a totally different gospel. It's not necessarily the denial of Jesus. It could just be slightly off course. One click off course. And in our world, folks, this is all over the place. Let me give you an example. Have you heard of Christian universalism? Where everybody goes to heaven when they die. Nobody goes to hell? Are you kidding me? There are mass amounts of people actually out there that believe that stuff. That is not a biblical gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus. It's deception from Satan. Let's call it what it is. We have to know the Bible if we're going to avoid the deception of the enemy. Congregation, are you with me on that? Okay. So last week we talked about the homologio, which is the the confession of our faith, where we say the same thing about ourselves that God says about us, where we believe the same thing about ourselves that God says about us, where we believe the same thing about God as he says about himself. And then we looked at the word repent. You remember this? The metanoia, where biblical repentance is about aligning our thoughts with God's ways. It's not just about stopping behavior. And so, to help us think about managing our mind today and in order to have a single-mindedness that Christ wants for us to have and that the Apostle Paul was pounding the drum on for the Corinthian church, let me give you two ideas to help you today. So here's some application stuff. The first one is this, letter A in your outline. Identify the number one lie, the number one stronghold that's holding you back. Maybe you have more than one, but what's the number one 
Let's just start there today, okay? What's holding you back? When you can identify and when you can name it, you will be well on your way to renovation. Is your issue financial? Is it relational? Is it a view of how you see yourself? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Because if you don't, just giving you some help here, you're not seeing clearly, my friend. And really, I just want to highly encourage all of us today to attack this number one lie. What are we going to attack it with? We're going to attack it with God's truth. So back to you right now. What is the number one stronghold that is holding you back from walking with God the way that you want to walk with him? Identify it. Second thing, letter B in your outline. Name the truth that demolishes that stronghold. And again here, truth only comes to us from God. It can only be found in Scripture. You are not going to find truth in any other place. You're not going to find it from your best friend. You're not going to find it from your spouse. You're not going to find it from your cousin or some poem that you read from Shel Silverstein. Some of you know who that is. Or anything that you find on Google, okay? Now, I'm going to have some fun here. Where in the Bible can you find the truth that you need? Great question. Let me give you a wonderful help. Google. (laughs) We're living in a world with Google. Now, Google is good if you know what you're doing, okay? So type in the search engine this, Bible verse for your struggle. And you will get some help really quick, okay? In the old days, like back in 1994, we used to have to use this thing that we called a concordance. You remember those things? (laughs) Yeah, things are a lot easier now. So if you need some help with Google, anybody under 40 can help you with that. Or you can call the church office and my team will be happy to assist you with how to use Google, all right? So once you name the truth that you need, here's the next three things that we're gonna do. Write this down with me. We're gonna write it down. We're gonna write the truth. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna think the truth, okay? And then we're gonna say the truth, And we're going to say it over and over and over and over until you believe it. Like we said last week. Hear me. There is no microwave Christian development. It's a slow cooker. That's true. There is a lag time from when our thoughts think something and our behavior catches up. Especially when what we're thinking is scriptural. So let me give you an example here. Let's say you have fear in your life. Now I know it's not you, okay? None of you do. That's why we can use this for an example. But maybe you know somebody, a good friend of yours, okay, that has fear and struggles with it, right? But if it's you, you might say to yourself, 1 Peter 5, 7, I cast 
my cares upon the Lord because he cares for me. Or I have the peace of God dwelling in my life and ruling my mind. Colossians 3.15. You see, when you have truth and you write it and you think it and you say it until you believe it, whatever it is you're struggling with, there is scripture ready to help you think correctly. And I know you might be sitting there saying, thinking to yourself, Pastor Wayne, man, this sounds really good. But brother, you just don't understand how my mind works. My mind doesn't work that way. I know it won't. Okay? Because by nature, we're all bent into a sinful and selfish direction. And our minds are never going to drift at all by accident into God's ways or his thoughts. Ever. That is why we have to make a purposeful choice in our life to renovate our minds with a sledgehammer and demolish those strongholds that keep weighing us down. Hear me, my friends. Hear me. Breaking free from a stronghold will only come when we use the truth of God's word to blow that thing up. That's it. Nothing else. Because remember, our life will travel in the direction of our strongest thought. What's in us is going to come out of us. You cannot have the God-honoring life if your mind is full of junk. It's just not going to happen, beloved. It's just not. God wants you to focus in on what his word says and give some intentional, intentional, intentional effort to your thought life. Because what you think about actually matters in your day-to-day life. So if you want to be the disciple of God, I know you do. If you want to be that person that you want to be, If you want to be what God's calling you to be, hear me, do not try to change the behavior. It's not going to work. Do what Scripture says. We know from Scripture. We need to work on redirecting our thoughts. And we need to put them on truth. Where do we find truth? Scripture. It is there, it is there, right there that you will find the victory that you seek that we sang about a little while ago. Do you want that victory in your life, congregation? It is there and it is ready for you to claim it. God's waiting. Take his word. That's what you need. I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you today to just say thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love that simply blows us away. Lord, we're thankful that we could gather today and to worship you in spirit and worship you in truth, God, and to think about how important Our thought life is. 
God, we want to pursue to be the disciples that you've called us to be. So God, we ask you, Lord, guide us, help us, because we're realizing just how much our thoughts shape our lives. Lord, many of us have bought into the lies of the enemy. As a result, we have some deep-rooted strongholds in our life, God, in our mind, and Lord, we need your help today. God, we need your truth. We need the power that comes only from your word, God. Help us to demolish these strongholds that are weighing us down. God, help us to meditate on your word because that is where it's going to come from. Lord, day and night, help us to meditate. Just like the psalmist says, to consider your ways and to delight in your decrees. Lord, help us to remember what you've said. And God, we recognize right here in this place today, we need to notice and recognize when something is inconsistent with your word. God, give us the truth to combat those. Help us to name those truths. Help us to write them, empower us to think them, empower us to say them over and over, God, until we believe it so we can claim the victory that you have for us. Lord, thank you again for this time that we have today to set our minds and our thoughts on you, to think about you, the things that are praiseworthy and noble and just and loving. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, what he's done for us. We're thankful, Lord, that salvation comes from you through your son. So be with us now, Lord, as we worship you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.